You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. And today we are starting the book of Jonah, one of my favorite Old Testament books. It's a story of a prodigal prophet and a gracious God. And so let's start in the book of Jonah. By the way, it'd be great to have uh, Jonah out and open on your lap there. Uh, No shame in using the concordance at the front of your Bible to find it. It's buried right there in the back of the Old Testament. So make sure it's out and open on your, uh, your lap there. So let me start just by helping us find sort of Jonah's place in the wider context of the Bible. So uh, think about the Old Testament for a moment. There are 39 books that make up the Old Testament. Of those 39 books, there are 17 prophets. So think of uh, the prophets from Isaiah to the end of the the Old Testament. That's that's your section in the Old Testament uh, that is your prophets. Of those 17 books, Isaiah to Malachi, Of those 17, 12 are called the minor prophets. And I love how one commentator referred to the minor prophets as the dark continent in the Bible uh, because so few people venture in there or have any idea what's going on in that part of their Bible. Uh, And the the 12 minor prophets uh, were originally written on one scroll and they were called the 12. And I think that's a good way to see the minor prophets, Uh, those those 12 minor prophets there uh, that range from basically Hosea to the end of Malachi, the 12. That's your minor prophets. And those minor prophets include Amos, uh, Nahum, Obadiah, Zephaniah, just sounds like names straight out of uh, Star Wars. Right? I mean, just all of those books of the Bible. Uh, And it's also uh, where we find our man Jonah, the book of Jonah. And by the way, just to clarify this, uh, the minor prophets aren't called minor because they're trying to get into like the big leagues of the prophets. That's not why they're called the minor prophets. They're called minor because in comparison to the major prophets, they are relatively short in their just size and how many words make up the minor prophets. So as a, for instance, Isaiah has 66 chapters. Jonah has four chapters, uh, 48 verses. So you can see how just the size of the books are so much different. So that's why they're called the minor prophets. Now, speaking of Jonah, he is unique among the prophets in a couple of different ways. Uh, One way is unlike most of the other prophets, Jonah wasn't called to just speak to his own people, the people of Israel. He was called to go also to a neighboring nation, right? Verse two, arise, God says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. They are like a rival nation. Uh, In a lot of ways, Assyria in that day and time were were just known for uh, their cruelty. If they were like today alive, they would be considered a terrorist state. That, that's Assyria. And this is who God called Jonah to go and preach to. And then the second thing that's unique about uh, Jonah is that, uh, you know, in all the other prophets, uh, God's word, right? So God, God is coming to them with a word, and that word takes central sort of place, the, the central real estate, it's the central theme in the, those prophets' work. So uh, if you go to Isaiah and you read through the book of Isaiah, the primary thing happening there is God speaking through his prophet what God wants to say to people. But that's not true in the book of Jonah. In, in the book of Jonah, the man is the message. 
God's word, it's just a very brief statement about what God wants Jonah to say to people, right? The, the main point of Jonah, the main message of Jonah is the man. It's how God deals with his prodigal prophet. That's the message of the book. Okay, now in light of that, uh, let me just give you three reasons why we're working through the book of Jonah. Uh, three reasons, uh, just why this is a timely moment for us as a church family to work through this particular book of the Bible, these four chapters. Let me just give you three quick reasons. Number one, Jonah reveals the missionary heart of God. So it's one of the things that I just love about the book of Jonah. It reveals the missionary heart of God. So think about the Bible as a whole for a moment. Genesis to Revelation. The Bible progressively reveals the plans and purposes of God. So what we know about the plans and purposes of God, let's say by the time you get to the book of Acts, is much different than what we know about the plans and purposes of God if you're just reading through the book of Genesis and you uh, are reading through Genesis 17. You know a lot less in Genesis 17 than you do when you get to the book of Acts just because you've taken in the, the whole of the Old Testament. Now you've gotten through the Gospels, the life and death, resurrection of Jesus, and now the early church is born, right? It's a progressive revelation. So if you think back to the Old Testament, generally speaking, in the Old Testament, our attention is firmly fixed on the people of Israel, right? That, that's sort of God's people in the Old Testament, but by the time you get to the end of the Bible, let's say Revelation, uh, when you get to Revelation 5, it has become plain, right? The full picture and purposes of God have become plain that God doesn't just want the people of Israel. He wants people from every nation, tongue, and tribe. That's what God's after. Now, in this progressive revelation, we can see it clearly at the end of the Bible, but that that picture of Revelation 5 that we see so clearly there is in seed form throughout the Old Testament. And one of the clearest places to see God's sort of missionary heart, his heart for the nations, is in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for, for their evil has come up before me. Right? What, what you're seeing there is the missionary impulse in the heart of God. And that missionary impulse that you see so clearly in Revelation 5, I want a people of every nation, tongue, and tribe. What's seen so clearly there just drenches the book of, of Jonah. It's seen throughout the book of Jonah. The second verse. So you're just two verses into the story of Jonah, the, the book of Jonah. The second verse is revealing to us a God who is ready to rescue men and women, not just from the people of Israel, but from every nation. The second verse is showing us a God, revealing to us a God who is concerned enough about foreign nations, even wicked foreign nations, even foreign nations that hate him like the people of Assyria. It's showing us a God that is so concerned about foreign nations that he would send his prophets with a message for their rescue. The book of Jonah reveals to us a missionary God, the missionary heart of God. The heart of God that is so clear in the parables of Luke 15. Uh, when we see God's heart pictured as a shepherd who goes out to find that lost sheep. As this lady who upends her house searching for that lost coin. As that father who is longing for the return of his lost son. That heart of God shows up in the book of Jonah, that aching heart of God, not only for the neighbors, these people in close proximity, but for the nations. 
for people like Assyria who hate him. The book of Jonah shows us that God loves to rescue perishing people. That's the heart of our God. And this is what Jonah reveals to us. It reveals the missionary heart of God. But that's not the only thing Jonah reveals. Second reason why we're working through the book of Jonah is because Jonah reveals the heart of God's people. The heart of God's people. Part of what it means for Jesus to make you a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Part of what it means for God to make you that new creation is that you now have, if you're in Christ, a new heart. And that new heart is intended by God to continually and progressively be shaped into God's heart. So God's given you a new heart, and then he gets about the work of shaping your heart, of cutting out what doesn't look like his, of of adding into it what does look like his, of shaping your heart so that it looks like the heart of your dad, the heart of God. But Jonah is a warning to us. The, The book of Jonah shows us that like Jonah, we can resist that shaping work from God. It shows us that we can refuse to receive the totality of God's heart. It shows us that that like Jonah, we can pick and choose what we want of God, trying to shape God into our image as opposed to allowing our heart to be shaped into his. So think about how the story goes. In verse two, God says go, right? In in verse three, Jonah says no. And with that no, the tension rises in the book of Jonah. The, The conflict is inserted into the book of Jonah. And that tension that we instantly feel in this story, we're just three verses in and the tension arises. That tension that we instantly feel in the story of Jonah is also meant to be felt in our story. Maybe you can think about the book of Jonah like this. It's intended to be a mirror that the Lord holds up in front of you, not just so you can see Jonah, but so that you can take a long look at your own heart. In the book of Jonah, God is looking at us and saying, do you see Jonah? I mean, he's a pretty obvious kind of character to see here. Do you see him? Well, great. Now, do you see the Jonah in you? That's one of the questions that this book is asking us. Do we see the Jonah in us? Let's just take the area of mission and evangelism, which in some ways the book of Jonah is just teasing out for us. One of our priorities for 2021 as a church family is that we as a church would receive more of the aching heart of God. That, that aching heart who wants lost things found. That aching heart that just loves to see people who are perishing rescued from their perishing. That, that we would receive more of that aching heart of Jesus. That we would go deeper into that ache in 2021. And part of how we're doing that is every quarter of 2021, we are doing a Who's Your One card. And so we did that back in January. The first Sunday in January, we thought about God's aching heart together. And then we just asked the Lord to clarify, who is one person that you would want me to go to? One person. Asking the Lord for that. Then we found the one person. We wrote their name down. And then it's just the journey then of praying for that person, just pleading with God to do that preparatory work, praying for them, and then pursuing them. And pursuit is defined as, in the first quarter of the year, going to that person and initiating a conversation about Jesus. 
So I think this is a good time to ask us. We're now kind of at the end of the second month of this quarter. So we're two-thirds kind of through this quarter. And it's a good time to ask us, have we done that yet? Have we actually pursued that person by initiating that conversation with them? Have you done that? Whoever your one was, have you initiated that conversation? Now, here is what we find. When we just kind of bring the book of Jonah up as a mirror in front of us and we take a good long look at ourselves It doesn't take long to realize Jonah's not the only one who says no to God when God says go. We all have a tendency to do that. And part of what the book of Jonah is allowing us to do, it's part of why we want to preach through it, it's just it holds that mirror up in front of us and says, where is that Jonah in you? Where are you resisting? Where are you saying no to God? Where God has said, go, where where are you just resisting that work and that word from the Lord? So Jonah reveals the missionary heart of God. Jonah reveals the heart of God's people. And thirdly, third reason why we're preaching through Jonah is because it is a misunderstood book. Um, One commentator said this about Jonah. said, Jonah is probably the best known and yet least understood book in the Bible. And I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. I think when most people hear the book of Jonah, they think, uh, they think, okay, we've got a prophet on the run who gets swallowed by a, a big fish. That, that's when we think Jonah, that's kind of the things that we're thinking about. The problem is the book of Jonah isn't primarily about a fish. It's not even primarily about our man Jonah. And it's not about a city who even just receives the grace of repentance from the Lord. Jonah is a storied presentation of the good news of Jesus. That's what the story of Jonah is about. Um, You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that depending on where you are in the Bible, the way the good news of Jesus is going to be talked about is different. So if you are in, let's say, Romans and you're reading uh, Paul, uh, when you get to Paul, you are going to see the gospel, hear the gospel, read the gospel talked about in a way that is just full of very clear and concrete statements about the good news of Jesus. So in the book of Romans, you're going to come across statements like Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. You're going to come across statements like Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. It's clear, it's concrete statements describing the good news of Jesus. But Jonah is not like that. Uh, Jonah is a story, and and in light of it being a story, the book of Jonah is putting these amazing truths of the gospel in story form. That's what you're finding in Jonah, the gospel in story form. So you won't find in the book of Jonah, the wages of sin is death. That statement doesn't appear in the book of Jonah. Uh, But you do see that truth played out in story form as a storm smashes into the boat with Jonah in it. As Jonah is thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish, you're seeing these things play out in the book of Jonah. Jonah puts the truth of the gospel in story form. Uh, I once heard a pastor say that if Jonah was a major motion picture, so it's, it's a movie, we're putting Jonah into a movie, and he was responsible for writing the words for the trailer that would just be the teaser for the movie, uh, what would the words be? And he said, this would be the words that I would use. 
Jonah is a storied presentation of the gospel. It is a story of sin and grace, of desperation and deliverance. It's a story that reveals that while you and I are great sinners, God is a great savior. It's a story of how a God of great expenditure relentlessly pursues self-righteous fugitives. It's a story that shows that while our sin reaches far, God's grace reaches further. It's a story that shows that God's capacity to clean things up is infinitely greater than our capacity to mess things up. Aren't we thankful for that? So welcome to the book of Jonah. And we're just praying that the Lord would use uh, the next couple of months as we work through this book together to just drive the good news of Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper into our bones. Okay, so with that said, here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. Um, Picture for a moment uh, Jonah as a portrait. So Jonah is now a beautiful piece of art. And as you look at that portrait, you're noticing that there is focal, like a focal sort of part of the the portrait that, that your eyes are instantly drawn to. And then there's work done on the background of the portrait. Now think about what the background of any portrait is doing. The background is is put on first so that the focal parts and pieces of the story have a way of popping off of the canvas, right? That's what a background is for. But a background, um, it's essential to, to the portrait, but it often goes unnoticed. When you're just walking through an art gallery or you're looking at a picture, our eyes typically aren't drawn first to the background. They're, they're drawn first to what is right there popping off of the canvas. So what I want to do uh, today for the rest of our time is just work through a couple of those broad background strokes. Uh, some of the broad sort of background that makes up the book of Jonah so that as we're working through it in the weeks to come, uh, the focal kind of pieces and parts of the portrait can pop off the canvas for you. So three background strokes. That's what I want to do today. Three background strokes. Here's stroke one. When you are reading the book of Jonah, here's one of the things that lie in the background of the book. It is a stunning view of God. This is one of the things that just sits in the background, a stunning view of God. One way to describe our biggest problem in life, your biggest problem, my biggest problem, one way to describe it is we often have a view of God that shrinks and shrivels. So we often go from this huge, big, breathtaking view of God to a small, uninspiring view of God. I mean, think about um, Isaiah chapter 6 for a moment. Isaiah gets this glimpse of God in the temple, right? And it's such a big, bold, breathtaking view of God that his, literally, his knees just begin to weaken, right? This is a huge view of God. Our, Our view of God often shrinks to something much less than that. It has a way of shrinking down into something small and uninspiring. And when that happens... We lose what A.W. Tozer encourages us toward, an everlasting preoccupation of God. That's, if you want to just kind of think about what we as Christians are about and doing and just trying to every day wake up with, is just this everlasting preoccupation of God. But we cannot do that if our view of God is small and uninspiring and boring. And part of what the book of Jonah is meant to do is to reinflate our view of God, to help us see a 
big, bold, breathtaking view of the God that's revealed here. So let me just give you a sampling of some of what Jonah shows us about God. What, what do we learn about God? By the way, that is a great question to ask Every time you open up the Bible, every chapter you're reading, verse you're reading, passage you're reading, book of the Bible you're reading, what does it show me about God? What do I learn about God here? Uh, let me give you a couple of things. Uh, one is that Jonah shows us that God is sovereign. That there is not a single molecule in this universe that is outside the control of God. Watch this play out in Jonah. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Part of what the book of Jonah shows us is God controls the wind and the weather. God controls that. Have you ever tried to control the wind? Maybe just as homework, the next time it's blowing like 25 miles an hour outside, uh, stand on your front porch and holler as loud as you can at the wind and just say, stop! And then turn to your spouse and your kids and watch them mock you, right? Because it's just not going to work. You don't have the power to control the wind or the weather, aka last week, right? We just don't have the power to do that. But Jonah is showing us that God does that he alone can harness the wind for his plans and purposes. Uh, look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Now think about the context there. The sailors are trying to figure out why this storm is about to kill them all. Why is that happening? And they suspect that it's somebody in the boat. So they grab, everybody gets around, they grab the dice, and they're going to depend on the dice to show them who the problem person is. And guess who the dice landed on? Our man Jonah. I mean, that's, that's pretty random, isn't it? Part of what the book of Jonah is showing us is that there is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as coincidence. There is only a sovereign God who is in every detail of our life all the way down to the rolling of the dice. That's the sovereignty of God that we see in the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 9. And he said to them, uh, Jonah talking to the pagan sailors, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah is showing us who is the creator of all. It's God. He is the one that spoke and things appeared out of nothing. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Chapter 2, verse 10. God speaks and then the fish vomits Jonah up. Now that is a picture of the sovereignty of God. Think about all the things that have to happen for that to happen, right? Let me just tease that out. There is a big ocean, right? It's huge. There is a big ocean and there just happened to be a big fish that just happened to swim by this small little boat that just happened to throw out this small little man and that small little man happened to look to that big fish like good food. I mean, that, that's a picture of the sovereignty of God for all those things to happen, isn't it? It's just the sovereignty of God on display. And I love what one commentator said. He said, men have looked so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. I think that is so true. The emphasis in the book of Jonah is not on a big fish. The emphasis is on a big God, a sovereign God. Chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord appointed a plant. Why did the plant grow and provide shade for Jonah? Because God made it grow. 
And then God, uh, there's a worm that shows up that eats the plant. But why did that happen? Because God appointed a worm to come and eat the plant. Uh, then there's uh, chapter 4, verse 8. The Lord appointed a scorching east wind to blister and burn Jonah's head. Why does Jonah end that day with a sunburn? Because God appointed a scorching east wind. That, that's the reason. It, it's just a picture of the sovereignty of God. The burden of this book is to show us how big God is. It just wants to show you that God is sovereign over every detail of your life, over my life. The book of Jonah shows us that God is sovereign. That's not all it shows us. It also shows us that God is omnipresent. I love Psalm 139, verse 7. The psalmist asks some questions. The psalmist says, where shall I go from your spirit? Then he goes another question, or where shall I flee from your presence? And the psalmist answers by saying, there is no place I can go that doesn't have your presence there. That there is no place I can run that, that your presence will not be there. And this is what's so ironic about running from God. You can't. That's part of what the book, Jonah is meant to tell us. That, that it is impossible to run from God. You can't do it. The faster Jonah runs from God, the harder Jonah runs into God, right? Because God is everywhere. There is no place you can go. There's no country you can run to. There's no closet you can hide in where God is not there. The book of Jonah shows us that God is omnipresent. The book of Jonah shows us that God is king, that he's king. Nineveh, in the book of Jonah, has a king. And that king controls what will soon be the most dominant kingdom on earth, the kingdom of Assyria. But in the book of Jonah, God the king towers over every other earthly king. He towers over every person. There is no challenge to God's rule in the book of Jonah. There is no competition for God's kingship in the book of Jonah because God is king. And the book of Jonah shows us that God is judge. He alone has the authority and the power and the right to say, this is wrong and this is right. God alone has the power to do that. You don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to do that. God alone is the one who comes in and says, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And the book of Jonah shows us that one day we will all stand before the risen Jesus who will be judge. And we will have to give an account for all of our deeds, right? That, that day is coming. Because God is judge. God alone has the power to look at a city like Nineveh and say, this is not what I've created cultures and cities to be. No, no, your wickedness has risen up before me and in 40 days, it is doomed for you, Nineveh. We are seeing a picture of God the judge. Jonah reminds us that history is linear. That history is all going to culminate before the risen Jesus who will judge all things. The book of, Genesis, or of Jonah is showing us God. Like every other book of the Bible, it's revealing God to us. So as you're reading through the book of Jonah, I would just commend maybe every day this week just to read through the book of Jonah at once. As you're reading through it, ask the Lord to show you. God, show me who you show yourself to be in this book. Every book of the Bible, Jonah in particular, is, is an invitation from God to come in and explore more of his heart 
And so let's, let's allow this book to draw us deeper into the Lord, to know and enjoy more of our God. The book of Jonah shows us a stunning picture of God. Here's another background stroke to the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah also shows us a stunning view of sin, a stunning view of sin. It only takes three chapters for sin to invade the story of the Bible. Genesis chapter three, here comes sin rushing in, right? It only takes three chapters for sin to invade the story of the Bible, and it only takes three verses in the story of Jonah. Three verses, and sin has crashed into the story. Uh, Right beside this amazing, breathtaking, stunning picture of God is this breathtaking, stunning, shocking picture of sin. And the story of Jonah shows us just how pervasive sin is. If you want to see a corporate sort of picture of sin, uh, the uh, picture of Assyria, of Nineveh, is your corporate portrait. Uh, Nineveh is this huge city. Uh, In in the book, it tells tells us there's 120,000 people in the city. Some think as many as 600,000 around the the sort of surrounding areas and the sort of suburbs of, of Nineveh. So this is a huge city. And cities concentrate people and concentrate, uh, concentrated people have a way of concentrating sin. And Nineveh, like many of our large cities, was broken by sin. Rather than a city submitted to God, uh, we read this in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Nineveh, that great city, their evil has come up before me. That's a corporate view of sin. God is looking at a whole city and saying, it is a wicked, sinful, rebellious city. But then we see a personal portrait of sin, and this is our man Jonah. In chapter 2, the sovereign uh, king says, go to Nineveh. And and Jonah looks back at God and with one finger high up in the air says, God, I will not do it. No, I'm not going. And then Jonah runs from God. And, And running from God is the storied presentation of sin. That's what sin looks like in the book of Jonah. It is running from God. And the book of Jonah reminds us that sin is multi-layered. Now, we're going to tease this out a little more next week, but I want to make sure you're you're seeing this, that sin is multi-layered in the book of Jonah. Sin is running from God, right? And that running from God is outward. So there is an outward component, layer, uh, to sin in the book of Jonah. This is the view from chapters 1 and 2, where we get the fruit of sin. Jonah is literally running with his legs away from God, right? God says, go that way, and Jonah goes that way. And you see this in uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Literally the opposite direction as Nineveh. God says this, I'm going to do that, right? This is the outward sort of manifestation or showing of sin. This is the view of sin that's easy to spot because it is big and bold, and you can see it in our behavior. It's the work of our hands, right? He's, he's physically running away from God. But the book of Jonah also shows us that running from God can be inward. N- not only outward, can also be inward. This is the view from chapters 3 and 4. Just like the older brother in Luke 15, Jonah does the right thing in chapter 3, but he does the right thing from the wrong heart. Right? That, that's what's happening in, in Jonah chapter 3. 
He's doing the right thing. He goes to Nineveh, but he has got the wrong heart in doing it. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, we get all the way down to the root reason of why Jonah is running. Why is Jonah running? You see it, Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is, this, is, this, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why, Jonah? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, do you see what's happening there? Jonah's rebellious heart is fueling his rebellious running legs. It starts in the heart, though. It doesn't start in the legs. His heart is fueling his legs. So just think about this in your own life. We run from God with our, our feet because we've already turned from God with our heart. That's true every time you see a person physically moving away from God, that is happening because their heart has already turned from God. Before Jonah boarded the boat, his heart had already sailed away from God. Sin is not just running outwardly, it's also running inwardly. And that inward running is what fuels our outward running. So let me just pause here for a moment and ask you the question. Are you running from the Lord right now? Or maybe I could ask it this way. Where in your life right now are you running from the Lord? Where is God saying, go this way, and you're saying, no, I'm going that way? Where is God saying, stop doing this, and you're saying, no, I'm going to keep doing that? But where are you running from the Lord it's a really good question for you to begin asking as you're thinking about and reading through Jonah. Where is it right now that you're running from the Lord? What boat have you boarded on its way to Tarshish in the opposite direction? Where do you find that, that inward running of just turning from God, saying no to God deep down in your heart? I love what Tim Keller said when he said, there is no refuge from God. This is what the book of Jonah shows us. There is no refuge from God. There's only refuge in God. And for all of us that are running today, for everyone in the room who is running away from the Lord, Jonah, God, God has you here this morning to hear this text as an invitation for you to turn around and come back to him. In the book of Jonah, there is this stunning view of sin. And thirdly, there is this stunning view of grace. It's the third background stroke. It's this stunning view of grace. There is only one thing more shocking than the tragic portrait of sin in the book of Jonah. And that is the amazing, shocking portrait of grace in the book of Jonah. So think about sin in the book of Jonah is running from God. Now, let's think about grace in the book of Jonah. Grace in the book of Jonah is God relentlessly running after man. That, that's, that's what grace looks like. It's, it's God coming down, chasing us down, and catching us in our rebellion. That's grace in the book of Jonah. Think for a moment if you were God and the story of Jonah was being written about you. How would that story go? I'll tell you how it would go if it were me. It would be a really short book. In verse 2, it would go like this. I, God, said, Jonah... Go to Nineveh. 
And then Jonah looked back to me in verse 3 and says back to me, uh, no, God, I'm not going to, to, Jonah, or to, to Nineveh. And then verse 4 would sound like this, God killed Jonah. <laughs> and it'd be over. It'd take, it'd take four verses to finish this story, but that's not how the story of Jonah goes, is it? It's not how the, the book of Jonah works. It, it is a story of the grace of God running after rebellious people who God should kill. That's the story of Jonah. Let me just tease a few of these out. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, God speaks to Jonah. God knows Jonah's heart. He knows he's rebellious. He knows he's sinful. And yet God still comes to Jonah in his grace and speaks to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah, or God calls Jonah to warn the people of Nineveh. God would have been well within his right to strike the people of Nineveh dead, but God doesn't do that. He sends one of his prophets to warn them and to rescue a wicked city. It's called grace. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, God calls Jonah to do something that Jonah didn't want to do. Have you ever had that happen? where God asks you to do something you don't want to do. And just everything in you, there is a no rising up in you. For Jonah, God is looking at him and saying, I want you to love your enemy, Jonah. I want you to go to them with grace, Jonah. That, that's what I want you to do. And just like it was for Jonah, it is for you and I. When God asks hard things from us, it's not because God hates us. It's because God wants us to have more of his heart. It's grace when God asks a hard thing from us. Chapter 1, verse 7, uh, Jonah runs, he gets on the ship, and then in verse 7, God harnesses the wind and throws a hurricane at Jonah, a storm at Jonah. Now, when you're reading the story of Jonah, what is your heart doing when you get to that moment in the story? But God, verse 4, here comes the storm, slamming into the ship that Jonah is on. I think most people get to that moment, and they're like, finally, that dude gets what he deserves Thank you, God, you're meeting out a little bit of punishment for this guy, right? But that is not how the book of Jonah is presenting that storm. That storm is an intervention from God. That storm is God not giving Jonah over to his own desires, but rescuing Jonah from his desires. That, that storm is the grace of God. Then Jonah is thrown overboard, and in verse 17, God sends a fish to swallow him. Or you might think of it this way, to save him. That, that fish is a means of rescue. That fish is a means of grace to shock Jonah up and out of his slumber. I love what one uh, pastor said about Jonah. He said, the grace of God has a mugging nature to it. And I love that. I think that's true. And does your view of grace expand and encompass moments where you get mugged by God, like by a storm or by a fish? Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, God gives a second chance to Jonah. God doesn't have to give a second chance to people. He didn't give a second chance to Lot's wife. Right? He didn't give a second chance to Ananias and Sapphira. But he gave a second chance to Jonah. And I bet if we tallied up the chances in this room, they would number into the millions. Right? It's, just, it's just the grace of God. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, God saves a wicked city. God could have destroyed that city, but he, he saves it. He, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He didn't give them another chance to, to read. 
But, but this city, he, he comes and he saves. It's, it's grace. And this is what the story of Jonah is about. It's a storied presentation of the grace of God, of God running us down in our rebellion and rescuing us, saving us from us. Let me finish here. The book of Jonah contains one of the Bible's little stories. And this little story has characters in it. It has Jonah in it. And it's got these pagan sailors. And it's got this huge city of Nineveh in it. But like all the little stories of the Bible, Jonah points us to the big story of the Bible. Jonah points us forward at roughly 800 years when a new and better Jonah arrived. And this new and better Jonah was a much different messenger. He wasn't reluctant, he was willing. He didn't run from the call of God to go to his enemies. He laid down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice for his enemies. And in these ways, Jonah points us to the person of Jesus. In chapter 4, unlike Jonah, Jesus didn't go outside the city in hopes of the city's judgment. No, Jesus went outside the city to bear its judgment. Jesus doesn't wait for sinners to die in their sins. Jesus gladly takes their sin and he dies for sinners. In John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Word. Because like Jonah, Jesus is God's message to a running world. Jesus is everything God wants to say to a world that is running from him. And friends, this little story in the Bible, this little story of Jonah, is given to us by God so that we can see through it all the way to the person of Jesus. Will you pray with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful this morning, to wipe away the things that would not be helpful. And maybe you can ask the Lord right now, what, what would be one way you would want me to respond to the scriptures that I've heard read, the scriptures that I've heard opened up and preached? What, what is one way you would want me to respond? And for some in the room, it's responding by taking that first decisive step toward God. This is the moment where God has chased you down, run you down, and caught you. In this room, this morning, God is opening up your heart to him. And what God wants from you is for you to turn from your sin and for you to throw your life upon Jesus, for you to hold your life up to God and say, God, here I am, save me, rescue me. So just in the best way you know how, you can pray that to God this morning. So God, would you do that saving work in this room? God, would you take these words and begin to press them down into our hearts? God, we're like Jonah. We are running from you this morning. God, would you do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to save us from us? 
Father, would you create, just create in this room responsive, open, willing, ready to say yes hearts. Oh God, help us. And it's in your good name. Amen.